say good morning but it's good afternoon or evening man this thing's loud bro and, and, and i'm not talking loud <laughs> uh it is great to be here um uh, of course as you know that uh, uh there's a reason that i wasn't here monday and tuesday and uh and we're gonna we're gonna get through this as a, as a congregation uh and also as, as children of god but tonight it's uh, it's about revival, and, and I had told uh, Bill and Robert and, and and Dave what I had an object lesson for us to uh, to do each night, and uh, I didn't get to do it. So I'm going to explain it to you, and then tonight uh, I'm going to cut you some slack. Um, the first thing I was going to do uh, Monday night was I was going to, uh, in fact, I was standing there when the phone went off, and I was on my way to the fellowship hall. I had stuck a bottle of water in the freezer, and it was hard as a brick, and I was going to get it, and I was going to come out and talk about, you know, how in, uh, I think it's Revelation chapter 3, that there was a church that had uh, lost its first love and were they were neither hot nor cold. And so I was going to have everybody pass that frozen bottle of water around. And I said, when you listen to the sermon tonight, where do you fit in there? Are you like this bottle of water? And then on Tuesday night, which was last night, I, I was going to bring a bottle of water that, is, that had set out in the sun, lukewarm. You know, and said, so tonight when we have our message, you know, are you... Where are you? Are you still cold or are you lukewarm? Huh? Well, tonight I, tonight I had one that was real hot. And, uh, I, and my grandson said, Papa, you don't want to take that. You'll have to wear mitts because <laughs> it was hot. Uh, and, uh, and so at the end of tonight, you know, are you fired up? See, revival, a lot of folks think that revival is about saving souls. And, and it is. Don't get me wrong. But the term revival is for the church. 
We have these things so that the Spirit would renew us, so that we would be able to go out and do the things that we've done. Now think about this. We have all got caught up in the things of life. I mean, we have all kinds of things from the world pushing in on our heart. Do you remember the fire you had when you accepted Jesus Christ? I, I know me, y'all heard me talk about it. My dad finally told me, boy, you got to be quiet. Because the only thing I want to do is tell everybody about Christ. He saved me. You know, he, he gave me a direction. I could not save myself. And I was on fire. I mean, every conversation, I had to bring Christ in it. And as time went on, you know, I, it, it, that, that flame kind of dwindled. Um, and it's been stoked a few times. Uh, right now, that's, this flame is hot. My flame is hot. My coals are burning. Um, and I hope that it's contagious. Uh, tonight, you're going to get, I think Brother Dave's preaching again tonight, and you're going to get the bellows. You know, if any of you ever know anything about stoking a fire or, or a forge, they have this great big bellows, and it makes that fire get extremely hot because you're adding more oxygen to the fire. You know, you ever heard the saying, putting fuel to the fire? That's what you're doing. So tonight's message is going to be about putting fuel to the fire. And then at the end, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that only you can answer. Your wives can't answer it. Your, your, your moms and dads, no one can answer it but you. And it's you that Christ wants to have a relationship. It is you that he wants to have burning coals. It is you who has an obligation to him to go out and teach the world the things that he's commanded. I mean, a lot of folks in churches today think, well, pastor, that's your job. Well, I, you know, to some extent, but my job is to motivate you. That's all the pastor's job is to motivate you. Amen, to <laughs> Say it again. Amen. There you go. <laughs> uh, if you have ever stood up here as a pastor, uh, you just don't realize the, the, the things that, that, that's expected of a pastor. Uh, I noticed that last week, uh, uh, Patrick had put a sign out there that was said it all. He said, your expectations of a pastor should be based upon your experience and motivation in the church. So if you expect a lot from your pastor, should your church expect a lot from you? You know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ball. Contrary to popular belief, we don't live on a flat earth. It is a ball. The Bible says so. So you can't go around to something that's flat. You can turn corners, but you can't go around something that's flat. So, uh, we are here today to worship God. We're here today to honor all the folks that came before us and to honor those who are going to come after us. And so, after 148 years here, today is, the, of course, is going to be, we say it's the end of this ceremony, but it's the beginning of our revival from here on to and we decide to do another one or God leads us to. But it's our job. It's our job. Each one of us to, to come alongside each other and lift each other up. And it's our job to make sure that we're moving forward. Because I can promise you if you're standing still, you're going nowhere. Nowhere.
Yes. Because the world is not going to stop and let you catch up. And I heard a, a very wise sergeant tell a guy one time, he said, you were born behind, you're going to die behind. The world is not going to stop and let you catch up. He said, so you better grab what you can grab along the way to keep from getting flung off. He was really getting on to this kid, and, but he was right about this gentleman's past. But he wound up, the guy wound up becoming a nuclear physicist, so I guess he grasped and caught up and surpassed the rest of us. Uh, and uh, so that's pretty good. Um, with that, I want to open us in prayer, and then I'm going to have the deacons come up, and, and we're going to take up our love offering, and or the deacons or whoever, uh, who, whoever our ushers are, and... Uh, We'll do that, and then I will turn the service over to Brother David, and we will go from there. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your blessing. Lord, we thank you that we do not understand your actions. You tell us in your word that, that your ways are not our ways, and that your thoughts are not our thoughts, and that we can't understand you. We can understand you by the things you allow the Holy Spirit to give us. And I'm so thankful that I can't understand the things that you have going and that you are doing that I will never understand until you tell me. And I'm okay with that. I'm very thankful for that. My infinite mind could not handle it. Or my finite mind, excuse me. But Lord, I just love you. And I ask you to bless this ceremony here tonight. Fill each one of us with your spirit. Let us renew and dedicate ourselves, whatever it takes, Lord, for you to fire those coals into a raging fire. And then give us the ability not to let the fire wane down. Let us keep stoking that fire with the wood of, and the, wood of the word of God. So that this flame will grow and that the chimney will be blowing your head, glowing as, it, as the excess gases escape the chimney. Lord, you need us. You called us for this time, for this day, for this year, for here where we're at. Lord, I love you and I ask it in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. It's my pleasure uh, to introduce Dave Masterson. Um, we, we met him by divine appointment. 
Um, and if you were here that day, you understand how it happened. If you were not here, I'll explain it to you. Uh, the piano player that we had, or the musician, uh, departed, and we were searching for one. And we had a, a couple that were or, that were working, filling in, and uh, we thought we had had one that was going to take the position. And she decided that she was going to go to a church closer to her home, and that's fine. And so we were cut to the point of the service where we sing happy birthday. And I said, you guys are lucky today you get to hear acapella. And uh, unless somebody here knows how to play the piano. And she stood up and said, my husband does. <laughs> and I said, brother, come on. Thank you, Lord. And, uh, and so he came up. And when he sat down, he went across the keys. And uh, I said, I looked and I've never heard that piano make that noise. <laughs> and, uh, and so we sang happy birthday the best I have ever heard it before. And, uh, and so he's been coming once a month ever since. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's been, it's been a blessing, uh, a blessing. And like I said, we talked today and it, it was a divine appointment. We were meant to meet, uh, to do this and, uh, uh, when God puts his hands to something, uh, it, it's not wrong. Yes, sir. And to get Sam baptized in his uncle's church. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, yeah, we got... seen each other, I think, in about 20 years. No, they haven't. I know. Uh, that watching them that day was anyway. I, I'm gonna take up too much time. I'm cutting your sermon short, brother. Uh, with, without further ado, brother Dave. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you. It's great to be back again for the third night here. Thank you for coming tonight. I want to start us off with a selection on the piano called desideratum. Desideratum. It's a Word that means the thing most earnestly desired, the thing most highly prized. It's a Latin phrase because I love languages and words and all that. So desideratum, one night as I was at my piano about six years ago, I was just sitting there and praying and the Lord out come this song. So I want you to enjoy it. I want you to relax and appreciate the music part of it and just let your desire increase as you listen to the melody. It's just a, it's a flowing melody. It goes up and down the keyboard and it's all about desire. It's all about kindling our heart's love for Jesus. Because that's the way we get revival, right? When our heart is overflowing with love for Jesus and our desire is hot, like Jerry was saying, then we do what we're supposed to do. We love him, we serve him, we do what we're called to do. So this is called desideratum, and you enjoy it and maybe say a little prayer uh, to the Lord while you're listening to it.
If you'll turn to number 61, hymn 61, we're going to sing this together.
So when we experience God's grace, what happens? Renewal within. And that's what this next song I want to play for you is all about. It is well with my soul. You know, when we're right with the Lord, when we're walking in his word and walking in his spirit, it is well in our soul, in our heart, in our spirit. So enjoy this old gospel hymn, It Is Well. It's probably in your hymnal if you want to open up your hymnal and meditate on it while I play. This is one of my favorite songs, It Is Well With My Soul.
If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18.21 But if the wicked person turns away from all the sins he has committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the offenses they have committed will be remembered against them. Because of the righteous things they have done, they will live. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn away from their ways and live? Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. What comes to your mind when you hear the word repentance? The word repentance. Webster defines repentance as the state of being penitent, sorrow for what we have done or what we have omitted to do, especially contrition for our sins. Interesting that Webster, being a godly man, puts that in his dictionary. Do you see that there? Especially contrition for sin. That wouldn't fly in today's Merriam-Webster dictionaries, would it? Because we excise all the talk about God and truth and righteousness and sin out of all that. But here in the original 1828 dictionary, which is the very best Christian dictionary, if you don't have this, get a copy of the 1828. It's a big green volume. It's Webster's original dictionary. And it's fantastic because he's got Bible verses under almost every word as he defines them. Fantastic. Fantastic. As we consider Ezekiel tonight, we want to talk a little bit about the difference between true repentance and false repentance. What's it mean to truly repent and what's it mean to kind of fudge your way through the door and have a kind of a half-hearted false repentance? It's important for us to understand and do the background on this. There's a number of characteristics of true repentance. You'll find them all listed in your bulletin outline, in your insert. But I, I want to go through them briefly with you tonight. True repentance means changing our minds about sin. It means changing our minds about how we think about sin. We formally look at something as good and desirable and something we want to be involved in, but when we repent, we actually turn our mind around and we change the way we think about that sin. True repentance means calling sin, sin. Actually 
this is a sin, this is something God doesn't like, and I, because I love God, I'm going to turn away from it and go a different direction. Now, some people realize the reality of sin. They know what they're doing, and they know they're doing something wrong, but doing it gives them so much pleasure that they just keep right on doing it. Right, Jerry? They, they just, they, they're on that track and off they go and they do it again and again and again. That's not true repentance. The person who truly repents of sin looks back on the sin he's committed and truly hates the sin. He says, wow, I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? And he feels remorse. He feels contrition. He feels compunction about what he did. To truly repent means to sin, to see sin for what it really is. And what is sin? Beloved, we all know this. I'm just giving you a, a background lesson of what you already know because Jerry's taught you all this. Sin is offending God. Sin is doing something that offends my creator, offends the one who made me in his own image. Therefore, sin is treachery against my Savior. And if I can begin to grasp that mindset, then I will stay away from sin because sin is treachery, it's offensive, and it's abhorrent to my Lord. And I don't want to do something that offends my Lord. God is pure. God is lovely. God is beautiful. Sin is impure. Sin is ugly. Sin is evil. So they're polar opposites. I want to be on the good side. I want to be over here with my Savior. True repentance brings a change of heart feeling. A change of heart feeling. True repentance is something internal. True repentance gets down into your affections, what you love, what you desire. That's why I played that desideratum piece, because it's all about desire. Where is our desire? Where is our affection? Where is our love? Because we are motivated by what we love and what we desire. So desire is where repentance occurs and it brings a change of heart feeling. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you what? Rejoice! You rejoice, right? With joy inexpressible, full of glory. So it's affections. It's in our heart. It's not what we know in our heads, beloved. It's not the facts that you learn from Sunday school. The facts about the Bible. The facts about Christianity and about the faith. Facts are good things, and we need facts. But our faith in Christ has to do with our heart, our affections, our feelings. 
And that's the thing that drives us and repentance changes us down deep inside and changes our affections. Once sin is seen for what it really is, true repentance produces joy, adoration, and gratitude. If I really turn away from my sin and do that U-turn that I'm supposed to do and come back to my Savior, it'll automatically produce joy, gratitude, and adoration. You'll be a new person. You'll be bubbling over inside because the repentance is there. It's real. We deserve eternal punishment, don't we? Every one of us deserves to be damned in hell tonight. But God gave us Jesus. He gave us a Savior. He gave us the King of kings and the Lord of lords to die in our place, to take our punishment, to atone for our sins, that we might be new creatures in him, that we might be born again, born from above. Therefore, when we truly repent, it affects all of that down deep in our heart. And we're overflowing with, adi- with gratitude, with adoration, with praise, and with thanksgiving because God has truly rescued us out of our sins and brought us back into real fellowship with him. Now here's a good one. When we have truly repented from sin, our inner disposition to keep on repeating the same sin is changed. The inner disposition is gone. Sin is habitual, right? You start smoking once and then you go to five a day and then 10 a day and then a pack a day and then two packs a day and pretty soon, wow, you're, you're really going crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. So that habitual disposition, that's where the Holy Spirit works in our lives when we repent. The disposition to keep going back, I want that again. I want that again. I lust after that again. That disposition goes away, beloved, when we are truly in a state of repentance. It's the miracle that God gives us. It's the new heart, it's the new spirit, it's the new disposition. So we don't still love our sins. Who do we love more? Jesus. We, we stop loving our sins and we love Jesus more. True repentance also leads to confession and restitution. Confession and restitution. Once we experience the gift of repentance, we gladly confess our sins to God. We gladly confess our sins to a pastor or a priest or a godly neighbor, somebody in our life who can help us, who can give us guidance on the road to heaven. So confession of our sins, being out in the open about what we're struggling with, that's true repentance. False repentance covers over sins, doesn't it? False repentance makes excuses for sin. False repentance is 
being sorry for sin, but not so sorry that I actually turn away from it and become a new person. That's because false repentance is grounded not in love of Jesus, but in love of who? Self. False repentance is David thinking about David doing for David and irregard of what my Savior wants or what he desires or what he loves for me to do. I'm just thinking about poor little me and my own selfish concerns. And that's not right. That dishonors my king. I can't do that. Sometimes a person may feel biting remorse, but it's not a remorse grounded in union with God and Jesus. It's a remorse that has self still at the center. We get sorry, but we're not sorry that we offended God. We're not sorry that we were treacherous against him. We're just sorry because we got caught or because our actions have negative consequences that have now caught up with us. Now, beloved, I heard this over and over again when I was a chaplain. My years in the military were full of people coming in and out of my office as chaplain on a number of different bases. Even in Japan, I served the Marines in Japan. Those poor Marines, they'd come in my office. Oh, chaps, I messed up again. You know, I got drunk, and while I was drunk, I had sex with this uh, other person. And, and they're filled with remorse at what they did, and they're mad because now they're going to get demerits on their military record, and if it was bad enough, they'll get kicked out. They'll get the boot out of the military. But they weren't truly sorry before God. So a number of these military people just went right in my office. We sat, we talked. No repentance, no humility, no contrition. And so they went right back out and did the same sin again and again that brought them in in the first place. False repentance also leads to hypocritical concealment. As I said earlier, True repentance is out in the open. You ask a friend. You go to Pastor Jerry. You go to an elder. You go to a godly priest. You go to somebody who can give you guidance along the road and some counsel, some spiritual counsel. A man or woman who has false repentance uses excuses and lying and they're always apologizing or trying to make up stories about why they're in the mess that they're in. There's no deep down desire to forsake sin and turn the heart towards God. So, beloved, think about this question. Where are you in your willingness to talk to somebody else about the things that you struggle with? Are you willing to make an appointment with Pastor Jerry and say, you know, Jerry, I got this sin, and it keeps, it's a besetting sin. 
And it goes over and over and over. And I've been sinning this sin for years. And I need help. Would you help me? That's true repentance. That's being open before the Lord and saying, I need help. I want to turn away from the sin. And now I'm going to seek somebody who's out along the road who can lend me a helping hand and give me some direction to help me get to where I need to get. That's what we need when we're in the attitude of true repentance versus false repentance. False repentance also leads to a continual relapse back into the same sin. Have you noticed that? Wow, I can look back on my life and I can see when I was 20 or 30 the sins that I struggled with and I just kept repeating them over and over and over again. How come? Why did I do that? Because I liked my sin more than I loved my Savior. False repentance means that hating sin and clinging closely to Jesus hasn't yet been established in our lives. It's all about habits, beloved. Habits. Habits determine character. Habits determine destiny. Habits determine our relationship with the Lord. Because as we develop habits, as the Holy Spirit leads us and causes us to develop godly habits, those habits turn around and form us and strengthen us and nourish us to go on and do what we're supposed to do. Remember the saying, sow a thought, you reap an act. Sow an act, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. Wow. What habits do I have in my life now that are going to take me all the way to heaven for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years until the Lord takes me? It's a good question to ask, beloved. Do we have a habit of intake of the Word of God? Are we really that concerned that we get up in the morning and carve out space to meet with our Savior? to meet with his word? Do we have a habit of prayer? Or has life become so tumultuous that we just get up, grab our clothes, grab something to eat, and charge off into the day? That's not good, beloved. We need habits of prayer that will carry us and nurture us and strengthen us and cause us to come closer to Jesus so that we live holy and godly lives. Now, Ezekiel goes on in this chapter to say that repentance is centered in the heart. Look at verse 30 to 32 of our chapter. Verse 30 to 32. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. 
Wow. God wants to give me a new heart and a new spirit. And it comes as I practice repentance. In biblical understanding, the heart is the center of our faith. The heart is the center of our thinking. The heart is the center of our willing and choosing and affections and longing and and cleaving and yearning. It's not up here, beloved. The head is to be subservient to the heart, not the other way around. Modern man doesn't have a heart for God, does he? So all we hear about until you want to just throw up is all this science, 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 discursive reasoning, facts, facts, fact check, fact check. It's all garbage because these people have no heart. They're not seeking God. They're not seeking truth on the inner, inner, in the inner man. So all they know is endless cogitation, endless talking heads with their diarrhea of the mouth. Amen. <laughs> it's true, beloved. I'm just speaking the truth. <laughs> so what does Jesus say? Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, lying, thieving, slander. These are what defile you. So the heart is the center of everything. The heart defiles us or the heart ennobles us and fills us with courage to love the Lord and seek him and follow after him. A sanctified heart is rightly ordered before God. A sanctified heart is cleansed and made right so it can walk with God and seek God. Remember something, beloved. Jesus didn't come into the world to make bad people good. He didn't. He came to make dead people alive. That's why Jesus came. Jesus doesn't give a hoot about all your legalistic rules and regulations and trying to make a person better. No. He wants to give you a new heart and a new spirit and a whole new courage inside so you can seek him and follow him and love him and serve him with all your might. That's what Jesus gives us. Now, how do we do that? Here we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. We know all these facts about true repentance, false repentance. We know we have to have a new heart. How do we do it? Well, look at Ezekiel 36. Go up a couple pages and go to 36.25. Ezekiel 36.25 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh, a new heart, is the gift of God's grace. It's a gift from above, from the Savior. 
We can't create in ourselves a new heart, can we? We're utterly impotent. We're utterly helpless. We can't do that. But God can. God gives us a new heart. Our part is to repent. We repent. God gives us a new heart. Wow, what a deal. What a privilege. All we have to do is repent of our sins, turn away from them, and face God, and he does all the work. He creates a new spirit, a new life, a new joy, a new hope, a new direction. Wow. We must come to God to receive cleansing and the indwelling of his spirit. Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So think about this, beloved. A broken and contrite heart. Do we have broken and contrite hearts before the King of Kings? Do we practice contrition? Contrition, sorrow for my sins, mourning over my sins. Only God can give us a new heart. Only God can put us into real union and communion with Jesus so we love him, walk with him, and serve him joyfully. But we have to ask him for it, and we have to repent so that he can come in with his presence and give us a new heart. Now, what is the promised blessing of repentance? It's enormous. If we practice repentance, if we do what Jesus asks us to do, look at Psalm 32.1. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Wow. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall embrace him on every side. Be glad in the Lord, verse 11. Rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. There's a huge payback for our obedience to repent. Huge. The blessing of repentance. What are these blessings? Well, first, that God's mercy shall embrace us on every side. I want God's mercy. I need God's mercy. I'm desperate for God's mercy. And the promise is, it'll embrace me on every side. The front, the back, the side, the side, top, bottom, everywhere. God's mercy will meet me if I will come with a repentant heart before him. Verse 11 says, we will experience gladness, rejoicing, and uprightness of heart. Genuine repentance brings wonderful feeling of nourishment, of freedom, of goodness, if we are simply willing to seek and obey God. Now, if we look at Psalm 51, we find two more blessings of repentance. David says, purge me, in verse 7, and I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What's he talking about in Psalm 51? This purging with hyssop goes back to the Old Testament where the priest had to cleanse the leper 
so that he could be back in community with God's people and worship again and be back among the crowd. Because leprosy is a dangerous disease. It's highly contagious. It rots off your fingers, your nose, your limbs. It's very bad disease. And they had to stay away from the community. Well, sometimes the Lord healed them. And when they got healed, they would go to the priest and say, priest, I'm healed. Would you please pray for me and let me back in among the people? So he took this hyssop and he did a little ceremony and a prayer over them and they were pronounced ceremonially clean. That's behind the image of the hyssop. The gift of repentance brings inner cleansing. It brings cleaning. It brings washing of our inner being. We become purified. We become cleansed. Now in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, we have an example of true repentance. I won't take the time to read all of that. But the model of true repentance has four features to it. And you want to remember these, jot them down. There are four things that if we do this, we will be following God in his model of true repentance. First, believe the word of God. Believe the word of God. Believe that you have the ability to turn away from sin. You see, we're taught, beloved, that we are all victims. We're all a product of our genes, of our parents, of our school upbringing, of whatever we can blame, we blame. Well, that's not true. We're responsible agents. We're created in the image of God, free and responsible for ourselves. Therefore, we have the ability to turn away from our sins. We simply have to desire strongly enough to turn away and face our Creator and come back to Him. So we're not victims. We're not hopelessly stuck in our sins. Contrary to what everything the world says, to stay stuck in sin is our choice. You know, back when I was in my 20s and 30s and I was stuck in that habitual sin, that was my choice. That was my fault. It wasn't my parents. It wasn't my brother and sister. It was David's fault. I chose it, and I got stuck there. Second, fast. The king of Nineveh, when Jonah preached the gospel to them and said, repent and turn around, what did he do? He put on sackcloth and ashes. He came out from behind his throne and put on ashes on his head and proclaimed a fast and said, everybody, follow my example. We're going to get right with God. Well, we need to do that. Not necessarily ashes from the fireplace or sackcloth, but what about fasting from your iPhone? What about fasting from your screen time? Fasting from entertainment, fasting from television, fasting from food, fasting from anything that keeps you from giving God first place. That's what the Lord expects from us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff will be added unto you. So we fast from everything that keeps us from God, that keeps us away from God, and we come into his presence. Third, we cry in prayer earnestly that God would forgive us. Have we ever prayed like we really meant it? 
Yeah. Have we ever prayed like, oh, Lord God, and maybe tears come out of your eyes? Yeah, that's real prayer. It's earnest. It's real. It's down deep. Cry out to God. Pray like you mean it. Pray fervently. And then when you've done that, turn away from your evil ways. We all know this. Pastor Jerry's been telling you this for years. Repentance is a U-turn, right? You're going this way, you turn around, you go the exact opposite way. You're headed towards Satan and towards darkness, you turn away from Satan and darkness, and you head towards Jesus and light. Turn towards the Lord, come to the Lord, unburden yourself of your sins, and find peace and rest in him. A wise man once said, all the bad that we have done in this life will convict us if we don't repent of it. It'll just pile up. It's like a big closet full of junk and you just keep pushing more junk into the closet. But it piles up and one day you open the door and it spills out. All the bad that we've done will convict us if we've not repented of it. Ugly deeds and unkind words can be wiped clean by tears of repentance. However odd and logically impossible this may seem, it is true. Repentance actually wipes the slate clean because God in his grace takes his big sponge and goes right over it, and we become cleansed. The negative consequences to ourself of our sins are healed. The bad effects of our behavior towards our neighbors are effaced. Fullness of life is reconstructed by divine power as we repent. For without our repentance, God will do nothing for us. Dear friends, I ask myself and I ask each of you, have you experienced the joy of true repentance? Deep down, heartfelt, real, live repentance. Have you experienced the wonderful gift from heaven that repentance brings, the blessing that it brings? Listen to the hymn writer. I would be thine, O take my heart and fill it with thy love, O Lord. Thy sacred image impart and seal it from above. I would be thine, but while I strive to give myself away, I feel rebellion still alive and wander while I pray. I would be thine, but Lord, I feel evil still lurks within. Do thou thy majesty reveal and overcome my sin. I would be thine, I would embrace the Savior and adore. Inspire with faith, infuse thy grace, and now my soul restore. What sinner canst thou do? Where sinner canst thou fly? 
Eternal wrath hangs over thy head and judgment lingers nigh. Faith is the way of life. Believe in Christ and live. Fly to the shelter of his blood and peace with God receive. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It, it is 
smoldering. It's been a while since the flames have been stoked. Lord, we do not want to be at intimacy with you. We want to be one with you. Lord, is our, is our heart like that ice cold bottle of water? Or is it just lukewarm, but on a hot day that's neither good nor bad? You just spit it out. It's not refreshing. It's not satisfying. Or is it when we're standing in the snow and the rain and it's beating down on us and it's below zero outside and here comes that hot bottle of water. Not only is it warm and soothing to our hands, but Lord, we take a sip and you feel it inside of us and we feel all of our core temperature rise because we need you to bring the heat to us to share with this world. Fire us up. Today is the day. Let us, us rededicate our lives. Let us accept Christ if we need to. Let us just reaffirm where we're at. Today. Tonight. Now. Because we found out Monday. Life is fragile. And we never know when our number of days are up. But we love you. We're happy in Jesus' name. Amen.
persecute your followers, which you told them that they will hate you because of me. Lord, in the song that we sang tonight, in the word, no man can pluck me out of your hand. The schemes of Satan or the schemes of man cannot take me out of your hand. But we stand on that. We know your word is true. We know your promises are true. Lord, as we go through the next few weeks, give us the ability to be bold. Give us the ability to realize who you put in front of us that need to hear about you. Give us the ability to, to come together with a contrite heart and a humble spirit and walk beside those that are grieving and walk beside those who are hurting and need a arm to wrap around, a hand to hold, a shoulder to cry on. For you have called us to be your hands and feet. You tell us we are the body of Christ where we need to act. Where we need to go out of our way to make sure people understand who you are. We need to go out of our way to make sure they see you through us. That we change whatever attitudes and habits we have that cause us to give a bad reflection of you. How do we leave here tonight? Let us be thankful. Let us be repentant. Let us be on fire for you. This gospel is the only thing that can save and change us. All of the idiocracy and things that are going on where men are relying upon their own wisdom and their own strengths. And, and, and Lord, when you have people that can't make up their mind which bathroom to go to, give us the ability to lovingly and boldly direct them to the right one. Give us the ability to love them and hate their sin. Give us the ability to explain to them that there's a better way. We're offending the creator of the universe. Lord, you tell us, Brother David said in the sermon, that 21 days, 21 days is a habit for me. Well, if you have a habit you want to break, there's 21 chapters in the book of John. Read those 21 chapters every day for 21 days. God will show you who He is and relieve your pain and your suffering. That's a hat. For we love you. Now ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave here tonight, be in prayer. Be in prayer that this church will, will go out and boldly do what God has called us to do. Be in prayer for the Hunt family as, as they start to to put together things uh, for the internment uh, uh, of Steve. Uh, they're going to need our help and support for a while. Right now, they're like the rest of us. They're in shock. And, uh, and so we'll get through this. Uh, and we're going to make sure that, that once this is over with, you know, I, I preach sermons on funerals all the time that this week's going to be busy. This, this week's going to, and you're going to have more friends than Carter Gunnerses. But the moment that the casket's put in the ground and the grave is covered and you go home 
And the funeral director comes by and picks up all the sheep and the chairs and takes the, takes the reef off the door and hands you the guest book. It is quiet. Very quiet. Everybody will go back about their business in the world until it's still turning. And they will feel alone and they will feel left out and they will feel abandoned. And, so, and they're going to have to face a lot of things that they didn't have to face because she had a confidant. She had a partner. She had a, she had a godly man in her life. And so now she's going to have to fulfill multiple roles. And that's where God, men, we need to step up. Not just because it's happy, because that's what we do. It's the right thing to do. And so as we go out this week, remember this. Not one of them, not one of them, from me all the way down to the newest person who walked in this building or promised the next birth. You need to be prepared. And if you're not prepared to meet Jesus now, you better get that. Now, I don't know if he's going to call us all home in the rapture or if he's going to take us one by one like he's been doing for the last beginning since man fall. What do you need to be prepared? You need to know without a child without where you're going to spend eternity. You need to know without a child without who your Savior is and the relationship you have with him. And if you've been straddling the fence or, or, or playing games with the Lord, time to stop. Time to stop. The hardest funeral I'm going to preach is going to be seen. Because he was my friend and he impacted my life. And he was my brother. But the greatest part about that is I know exactly where he's at. He was a godly man. And I know that whatever happened Monday evening, when he drew his last breath, he heard, Well done, good and faithful son. And bow to the joy of the Lord. And I take solace in that. Because that's where he is. I told his family that. Right now, that's not a, not a thing that they want to hear. They're grieved. They're in shock. You know, and, and they don't know how to feel right now. And that's okay. That's okay. That's part of the process. What we need to do is lift them up in prayer and ask God to wrap his arms around them and drag them close to him so that they can feel his presence. Because I'll tell you right now from experience, God Almighty is the only one who can heal a broken heart due to loss of love. And it doesn't matter if that loved one has been sick for months or years or if that loved one went unexpectedly like Stephen. The point of the phone call that they exist no more is just a shock. The fact of the reality that if you don't know who Christ is, you won't see them anymore. You won't see them anymore. If you have Christ, you will see them. And we're taught to grieve well like those that have hope. And it's hard to do. It's hard to grieve well when you are in the midst of it. And I am so thankful for this church. I am. Because of the close-knitness of this church and the openness of this church and the way we love and hug on each other. They're blessed 
Good night.